Welcome to Bamsey's Humanity First podcast. I am Chris Ryan along with Peter Evers for this week's edition of uh, Humanity First here at uh, Bamsey's headquarters in Brockton. And I want to start off by talking a little bit about mental health. Um, as we're excited to have an event we're doing in May, uh, Mental Health Matters, uh, and focusing on that and that virtual event and how mental health and plays a significant role in all of our lives and Peter, over the last number of years, we have seen significant changes in um, workplace environments and in homes, in folks thinking about and addressing mental health. And in this COVID environment, what are some of the you know, the additional ways that you think people have to be cognizant of that? And what are we doing from an organizational perspective um, to bring light to that? Yeah, it, it's an interesting question, Chris, and I know you and I have been talking about mental health issues for years and years, and there's a famous quote from Tom Waits, who's one of my favorite singers, who, who said, you know, I've been, I feel like I've been tapping the world on the shoulder for years and years, and now it's turned around and forgotten what the message is, but I haven't forgotten what the message is, but I think that's true about mental health. It's been something that we haven't talked about because we felt there's been this stigma to it, and what I've struck by in, in the work that people have done over the last decade, let's say, is that it's becoming bound into health in general, that we're more able to have a conversation about our mental health now than we were even 10 years ago. I said the other day that um, I was talking to a young person in their early 20s, and they said, um, well, my therapist, you know, recommended that I do that. And I thought, when I was 23, that conversation would right. never, ever have had happened. And why is that? It's because we're having a conversation that is normalized. We're having a conversation that begins with it is abnormal for any human being to go through the lifestyle without experiencing emotional uh, disruption or depression. You make that statement and then we can have a conversation about it. I like watching professional sports and how things operate within organizations for a number of reasons. One of the biggest reasons is that um, no entity places more dollars into its workforce than professional sports and is as invested in the outcome of um, that those dollars spent. So in other words, if you're going to pay a guy $10 million, you want to make sure that that person has the utmost productivity. And sports has started to invest a lot in the back end to make sure not only that they're performing at their peak physical level, and that's having the appropriate trainers, having the appropriate medicine, and also appropriate diets, sleep habits, all those things, but also investing in, in mental health and um, in, in sports psychologists and making sure that that part of the game, which is so significant, is focused upon. And I talked with uh, Bruins head coach, Bruce Cassidy about the investment the Bruins have made in that and also in particular in the, the COVID environment. Stephen Camper was talking the other day after the skate about um, seeing a sports psychologist. And I wanted to ask you about the, the mental side of the game. And have you, is there more prevalence of that um, focus on, you know, players' mental health, particularly, you know, in the COVID environment than there has been in the past, and how significant do you think it is for players to uh, be uh, cognizant of that side of things? Yeah, it's grown over the years, um, and I think you know some of that is just evolution of the game in terms of every area. You know, there's more um, you know medical people in general, um, and you, you've expanded your 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 
the people around you in a lot of different areas, but getting back to the, you know, the sports psychologist side, we've used a couple here for years. Um, and I would say in COVID times, um, would be more important for the player to reach out uh, on his own if necessary and vice versa to make sure our, our people are checking in because you're going home and there's, and you can't really turn to, you know, you don't have opportunities to go visit people or, or go grab a coffee, even with somebody or sit down in a, in a, in a certain environment to talk and just to get things off your chest or, or to, you know, get your mind away from it. You have less opportunity to do that now. So very important. Uh, and, and with your teammates for that matter, we, we, we can, you know, rarely congregate um, other than maybe some team meals where, you know, players can get together and about the coach or their line mates or whatever's bothering them. And, and that happens a lot. And then it's off your chest and you, it's behind you and you're done. And it's tougher to do that now. So using the people around you is more important than ever in all walks of life, but specific to, to our group. Yeah. Um, comes in very handy. And, and probably when we look at this a year from now, and hopefully we're living back in a, um, a normal sort of circumstances, we'll realize how fortunate we were to have those people around us. It's Bruce Cassidy right there, Bruins head coach. And it's fascinating to me again that you, you have, you know, individuals at the, the top levels and you see what their best practices are. And then we'll see down the road those types of things implemented, perhaps to a smaller scale, because I don't think there's anybody here at Bamsey that makes as much money as Brad Marchand. Outside of you, Peter. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> um, so, what is your what is your your feeling on how those best practices in you know, sports organizations where they have such an incredible investment within productivity? How do you think that that starts to uh, to trickle down, if you will, to organizations like ours or yeah. or others? Because we are seeing that in some ways yeah. with that investment in in making sure that workers are happy right. and productive. Right. I would say trickle up. But um, but I do agree with you. I think the investment that we make in our workforce, and I will say that COVID has absolutely underscored this. Like we've just come off a listening session where we've been hearing stories from um, from people about how they managed and how they got through COVID. Every one of those conversations is steeped in the fact that they wanted to do right by the people that they serve. And then the secondary conversation is. Are those are our workforce being looked after? Are we paying attention to work-life balance? And you know, COVID's made, had, had a huge effect on that. You know, where does work begin, and where does where, and where does where does it end? Where does our leisure time begin? It's all been turned completely upside down. And we, as an organization, have an obligation to the people that we have um, the pleasure of working with to make sure that they have the opportunity to know exactly how to work how work-life balance works for them um and and add that into every conversation in supervision how are you doing you know what are the stresses that are that, that you're under how can we make your work life easier and and if we're having those conversations in the same way that we're saying and your productivity is then we i think we're blending um, a good balance there, but it should be in every organization. Your, our most preci- precious asset is the people that work here, and we have to make sure it's a place that is that is welcoming to everybody and uh, and meets everybody's needs. Speaking of welcoming everybody, why don't you welcome in <laughs> today's uh, guest on the podcast? Right. Well, thanks, Chris. So today's guest uh, is Richard Raphael, who is our new 
ish <laughs> VP uh, of quality and improvement. And Richard, you've been here for about five months now, I think. So yes. that, that means you're absolutely fully oriented. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say that um, Richard comes to the organization, of course, at an interesting time. And we had a little bit of a gap of not having uh, Q&I in the organization, which I think was covered remarkably by folks. Um, but as you came in, uh, Richard, I, you know, just really interested to talk about some of the principles that you bring to the organization and a little bit about your philosophy about how quality and improvement fix, fits in to how we do our business and, and, and how, you, um, how you speak about quality to the people who are doing the work. Because I think that is what I, what I feel about you is that you bring a different perspective to that. The other thing I want to talk to you about is is operational excellence, because I think that's a word that we're going to be hearing a lot about at Bouncy as, as, as we go forward. So maybe start on your initial impressions when you came into the organization five months later. Well, you know, we had the proper structure here um, at Bouncy. Uh, great place. People passionate about what they do. They're passionate about person served. As a matter of fact, they put, I've never been in an organization that puts the, their customer, right, on as uh, as high as a priority as the folks here, um, they really care about what they do. They understand the importance of it. So when I when I came here, I wanted to listen. I wanted to learn a little bit. You don't get a lot from the website, right? Because it doesn't really does, really doesn't describe the day to day work. So when I started to talk to people, I found out that there was a s- structure here, and that there wasn't too much work that needs to be done except building on that to make sure that we're executing on. That, intercre- uh, that uh, incremental improvement that um, that's so important. So, um, so what I began to do, uh, as you know, is, is talk to folks and figure out what the culture here wants. And what it really wants is, you know, they don't, we don't, they don't want the finger wagon. They want, hey, how can we be better? Let's partner. So, what I decided to do is talk to my team and, and figure out what, what the pain points with them were. And there was a disconnect about what partnership really meant. And the, the beauty of QI is that's, that's what it does. It's about everyone, just like compliance is about everyone. It's not about one particular group of folks um, doing all the work and telling everyone what to do. It's about, hey, let's talk about what that looks like, which gets into the operational excellence um, uh, question. So what we started to do is have really great conversations with folks about a future, looking forward, um, and has some conversations about backward looking and the mistakes that were, um, were, they believe that were made and try to figure out a way forward. And so what I realized from my Six Sigma background is that building teams, building relationships and conversations around the tools and process mapping and, um, and uh, uh, capturing uh, work processes on paper was a good starting point for having a conversation about what the service should look like. So what I so what we so what we've been doing since I've been here is looking at policies and procedures, having conversations about workflow, um, looking at risk, and trying to really hone in um, what it means to be operate in that operational excellence space. So what we did was we looked at. Um, you know, the balanced scorecard, uh, uh, the vision for Bamsey, the mission for Bamsey, and to figure out whether or not the quality uh, model, the existing quality model, fit with that vision and mission. 
And what we found out is that we were sort of almost there. Instead of um, instead of being quality and improvement, we were more of benchmarking standards. So we decided to develop an execution strategy. And um, and what that meant is taking those all the adopted um, standards, the contracts, the policies and procedures, the regulations, and figuring out how we can execute on them. And not only do we meet the requirement, but exceed the requirement. So building those relationships across um, BAMZ um, was important. In terms of my philosophy, as I said throughout my long five months, um, uh, friends are easier to um, build a great organization with and improve a great organization with than um, this hierarchical subordinate structure. And what we try to do is partner with program managers, VPs of operations, directors of operations, and folks in, in multiple departments to figure out what their pain points is and sit down and have a conversation around um, solving those problems. You talked about earlier, the employee experience, critical. We developed a little equation inside of Q1I that goes uh, person serve experience plus employee experience equals um, optimum outcomes of person served. And what that does is allow us to maximize the um, the uh, experience of person served, maximize the employee experience to re- to achieve optimum outcomes with person served. You know, I would, if I could just interrupt there, because I think the big difference that I see is that we're moving from this sort of um, check accountability to walking in lockstep with people around being as best as we can mm-hmm. be as an organization, as opposed to this sort of almost, um, an, well, frictional relationship between quality and the program. And I think that's the... I see that as the pivot point for us as we go forward. So that so that the quality when the quality folks arrive at the program, the program aren't saying, "Oh no, the quality people are here." It's, "Oh, the quality are here. People are here. We can sit down and we can learn together about how to provide better services." Yeah, I want to ask about that. In that, that's a challenging bridge to gap, right? Mm-hmm. Where if you're a worker and you see the quality aspect of things you're like okay this person's here to pick apart the things that i'm doing wrong and to and to put a report and you you have that natural um inclination to kind of put up walls around the uh, the quality control so how do you go about breaking that down for the the worker who may feel that they're doing a great job but everybody knows where their weaknesses are right i mean everybody knows where they could do things a little bit better nobody's perfect yeah. and everybody's pretty aware of that so how do you uh, to get to that point where, and, and Peter obviously feels like we're getting there, whether you're walking lockstep as opposed to, you know, uh, you come in and worker puts up walls to, to try to to try to to stop you. There's a lot of conversation about the direction of quality, right? So we're, we've communi- overly communicated with everyone. We've called them just to ask them how they were doing, just general conversations, that making that friendship connection. Because it's kind of hard to say no to a real, a true friend, someone mm-hmm. who has your back. And that's what we've been advocating. We have your back. So um, you have to build the relationship first. Before ab- you can do anything else, absolutely. you have to have the relationship. Absolutely. And it's not a perfect relationship, mm-hmm. as you know what you have with your friends. But just having that friendship there, there's some trust that's attached to that. And so what we try to do is we try to build on that. 
So if they need us for anything, whether it's, hey, I've got a, a funny form and I just don't know where it goes, we help with that. We don't just pass them on to someone. We find out where that form should go. And if it should go anywhere, it should, and we do, if we don't know where it goes, we take it mm-hmm. and we find out where it should go. So we've, we've been overly friendly with the across BAMSI. And, because, and the reason for that is because we want to build that trust. We want folks to trust us and know that we're also competent in, ter- in terms of solving problems. One of the things that w- we've been doing is talking to, not only talking to leadership, we've, we've been telling, telling everyone about where we intend to go with quality. So we've been getting the feedback on our plans, making, um, making changes to the plan, and sticking to our word um, uh, on doing what we're saying we're going to do. That's that's key to uh, uh, building that trust that I talked about before, and also that friendship. Uh, we have a lot of things going on. Bamsey is an, a huge organization, um, a lot of moving parts, and so we're 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 adopting standards from a, a very um, a variety of different methodologies. For example, Six Sigma and Lean Six Sigma. I'm Six Sigma certified in uh, green belt, um, Lean Demaic. DMAIC stands for uh, Define, Measure, Analyze, Improve, and Control. I've had my Greenbelt certification for more than a decade. I've um, in savings, uh, over a half a million dollars in savings in projects that I've um, ran and successfully closed. Uh, Six Sigma is a great tool to save money. Okay, it's an incredible tool. Uh, you don't usually take a project unless you, you're saving at least $50,000 on a project. But what I think is important here is making sure that we maximize the experience of person served, yeah. maximize the experience of employee served. So I want to focus less on financial savings and more on maximizing employee experience and the experience of person served, again, to achieve the optimal outcome of person served. Um, lean is a great uh, approach, and we've we've sprinkled... Uh, lean, lean principles throughout our policies and our um, standard operating procedures or work instructions to ensure that our processes aren't wasteful. Um, and, and also, we are also uh, working with uh, pro- uh, program managers and uh, direct uh, district. Um, I'm sorry, directors of operations and VP of operations to make sure that they understand the tools and the methodologies. We're going to build a, pro- uh, a curriculum around it. So we, we push that out across the organization to make sure um, folks are properly aware of the tools and the methodologies so they can implement it in their normal work without suffocating them, um, because Six Sigma can be a lot. Uh, but it is, what I like about it, though, Richard, is, um, and, and there's a lot of sort of terminology in it, but it's this idea of, of reducing waste mm-hmm. uh, and that connecting to the idea of the, cust- of, of the person-served experience. But it's also this idea of reducing variability in the organization. And that can only be good, right? So Absolutely. As when we have policies and procedures that people understand and know how the work is done, if there are standard procedures for work, yeah. it just makes it easier for everybody to understand what our roles are. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think we, we need to build that here so that people have certainty about the lanes within they work, which Abs- they work. Absolutely. And it makes it easier for them to do to do their jobs as well, um, and you decrease the risk of harming the person served. 
Um, in, and because you have the documented processes and um, folks know exactly what to do, they become better at what they do. And again, we achieve um, improved, person, uh, improved outcomes for persons served, greater uh, employee experience, and again, achieving that optimal outcome. And there is so much work to be done, you know, when, when you think about the wonderful work that happens in programs and then you worry about the vacancies that we have. All of the things that you're talking about end up with us reducing the pain of some of the points of people who work here, increasing the retention of folks and not, you know, relying on too few people to do the work. And so I think as we go forward, this, this concept is something that we want to talk a lot more about. But more importantly, we want that to go into our policies, our procedures, our statement of work, so that people understand exactly what the job is. Yeah, and quality is becoming a, a collaborative um, a system. Uh, we're developing a BAMSI quality system, a BQS, I call it, which brings in the, the EVPs, the vice presidents, and the program managers as well as employees into a single system where everyone's talking to each other, and we're refining this system for us. It's ours. We're pulling ISO 9000 standards. We're pulling Six Sigma standards, total quality management standards, all into a single environment for us and using it the way we want to use it without that eye towards a cost or a cost savings, but more, again, like, like I said before, maximizing the experience for persons served and employees. What... Um kind of more on layman's terms, what are some of the metrics of evaluation that you use in order to determine if something is outside of, you know, we talked about the cost savings aspect of things, but mm-hmm. Peter's you know, referring to the um, experience aspect of things. So that's obviously um, more difficult to define. Numbers mm-hmm. are numbers, right? Yeah. And an experience is relative. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's you know, for the an optimal experience is you know, in the eyes of the beholder a lot of times. So how do you go about determining um, whether a person had, you know, quality experiences? It's surveys. Um, do you reach out to to workers and ask them to fill out a survey? Same thing for the person served. How do you go about, uh, you know, grading, if you will, a experience? It's all of the all of the above. Right now, we do have because we have policies and procedures, we have standards, written standards. We do have surveys, and we use technologies that help us calculate a score uh, per each review. But we're adding some additional information in there, additional questions in there that we're trying to pursue, and some additional data points from various other sources internally to sort of gauge the uh, the experience of person served as well as the the experience of employees. Um, um, with the help of leadership in each one of the programs. We're going to them asking them, um, you have a certain individual in one of your programs. What does success look like for that individual? And what we're doing is we're documenting that and trying to find the similarities across different profiles and come up with a general baseline to, to be able to score whether someone is improving or not within that program and then have a conversation around those results. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think that that sort of idea of consistency is really important, and actually tying it back to the uh, the experience. And in the end, I don't think it's that difficult to do that if you're if you're approaching it from lots of different sides. Um, but you know, to have that kind of process enables us to show to the outside world as well mm-hmm. the kind of job we're doing. I think you know, nonprofits 
let's go back 20 years ago, nonprofits could rely on telling a good story, and we still need that. Those stories are incredibly important as we go to our donor base and say, you know, um, please give us money. But people that give money nowadays are much more sophisticated than that, in my opinion. And they say, yeah, I love the story. I love the story. It's heartfelt. Where's the data? Where's the data? Yeah. How many people did you do do that for? Yeah. Um, and somebody said to me once in a place where I work, we got a, one of our kids that was in our residential system ended up going to Harvard. Remarkable story. Somebody said to me, I'd rather 100 of those kids went to community college than that one kid went to Harvard. And it struck me, said, yes, you're absolutely right. That is a great story. But how much more do, impact do we have on raising up those other 100 individuals? And I think those, the numbers show that. You tell the story, you show the data, and then people are interested in it. Yeah, I think it's interesting just from a societal aspect to look at that story, the Harvard community college one's fascinating because it's there's a more much more cynical bent in society today it really is maybe it's just me getting older i don't know but i feel like i feel like everybody's like okay that's a good story but what's really going on like right i mean um you got okay you got lucky with that kid that went to harvard but how about the other kids um and i feel that that's i feel that that is the um the mindset that is you know, pervasive amongst uh, donors and particularly businesses that are doing, you know, their own uh, analytics and data information, and they expect that those they're going to do business with are going to have the same aspect of, of analytics and self-evaluation that they have in their business setting. So, yeah, and it doesn't just correlate to evaluating our own personal performance, but if we're going to be you know, soliciting money and seeking grants, that all that stuff is also good in it. Yeah, absolutely. And it would be... And the takeaway there is we should have that profile for that kid that went to Harvard, right? Because mm-hmm. now we have that example that we can compare to and say, hey, in that program, these are the things you should really be focusing right. on, right? right? And so that allows us to go in and say, do our um, program performance reviews and say, hey, how, is the, how are these other folks doing in co- contrast to that Harvard, um, that person served that went to Harvard? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's, it, it, it is all of the above in, in terms of how you uh, tell that story. You know, sports analogy uh, um, to me is Billy Bean, you know, that, you know, this is somebody who focused so... Oh, we're going to cricket or soccer. We're sticking with the athletics. Love the athletics. No, I don't. But, <laughs> but this idea of focusing so intensely on those numbers, actually, with Moneyball, people... people pick that up right in other sports they're doing that in soccer now but i think billy bean missed out on the other piece of that which was the human side of it and and of course they never won a championship which is you know they didn't get to the world series they did not um but at the same time you're we're blending those things so we tell a story that people that is attractive to people and fulfills our mission which is always focused on exactly what you talked about the the person served experience and the retention of a, a, a well trained, well informed and happy workforce, and that's where we need to be. Yeah, a, a great nonprofit or business or person is somebody that looks at all these best practices and uses a little bit of everything in order to build up your your profile. And you know that's something when you look at the the Oakland A's scenario, where if you get too caught up in one piece then that can also be problematic, even if it is extremely innovative. And how are you working in that innovative piece with the other elements of you know, the human condition 
and other best practices in order to um, allow for that one specific piece to really flourish. And you know, quality um, is such an important aspect of self-evaluation and um, it's changed over the years. And uh, I think that it's in a really good place right now of molding the different analytics along with the human condition in order to create a outcome that is um, significant for uh, everybody involved. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks to Peter, as always. And uh, this was another great edition of the Humanity First podcast.